0: Good morning again, everyone. We get to be in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, and um, I hope in the same way it's been uh, ministering my heart personally, I hope it'll it'll do the same for you. We are in uh, chapter 1, verse 12 we will begin. and We'll be heading through all the way to chapter 2, verse 26. And this uh, message is the quest for satisfaction. If you have observed people, if you know yourself for any length of time, You know that people are in search of satisfaction. We desire that. Uh, To have one of our our wishes, our expectations, and our needs fulfilled. And in fact, I would say that almost every decision we make is in pursuit of that which satisfies us. So just begin, um, I want you to consider consider your day. So how I wake up in the morning, what I eat, what I wear, are planned to make me the most happy. I want to have my blueberries in the morning. (laughs) Whether I exercise or rest Uh, How hard I work or study, I'm seeking uh, that which satisfies my needs. The people I choose to avoid and whom I pursue are often over my own delight. Our daily decisions revolve around this quest for satisfaction. And even when a decision is self-sacrificing, so giving of ourselves in the moment, there's a satisfaction being sought in in the giving, in in the long-term results of the sacrifice. Conversely, um, think of our reactions when our satisfaction is at stake. The the child will burst into anger when asked to uh, put away the dishes, since their immediate happiness is being harmed. That happens at our home sometimes. Or consider your own anger, my own anger, when my child requires extra attention. This inconvenience jeopardizes my time and comfort, so I become impatient. This, too, happens in my home. We all desire satisfaction, and our displeasure when it is in jeopardy shows this clearly. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 26, describe this human quest, a search for satisfaction. And studying this quest will be good for our longing souls. It will help us to discover or remember where true satisfaction is found. So, to help us kind of get a grasp of where we're going this morning, here's the, the main point. Life... If it is a frustrating quest for satisfaction, leading to a dead end, but joy is given by a generous God. I'll say it again, there's three parts here. Life is a frustrating quest for satisfaction, leading to a dead end, but joy is given by a generous God. And as such, we'll look at these three parts in this way. The frustrating quest, this will be chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 11. The Dead End, chapter 2, verse 12 through 23. And lastly, The Generous Giver of Joy, chapter 2, 24 through 226. So we begin now with the frustrating quest. And this is chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 11. I'm going to read chapter twelve or verse 12 through verse 15. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I plied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an it is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and is striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Like I said the last time we looked at Ecclesiastes, this book is not the optimist. This is a pessimist or a realist. <laughs> Fulfillment. Satisfaction is a universal desire of the human heart. But some are even driven to find and search it out more than others. Search for this fulfillment. And the preacher, the king in Jerusalem, is he, he's one of those types. He sets out on a diligent quest to find meaning in life. Look at the verse, it says, He applied his heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now, if the preacher is Solomon... And verses 1, 12, and 16 together seem to indicate as much. He's a son of David, king over Israel, and he's wiser than all. Then, if that's true, he has the resources, the wisdom, and the knowledge to put this world to the test. And the reader must know this, that if anyone can find satisfaction, it must be the preacher. But, he doesn't come back with a good report, does he? No, he reports that this quest is an unhappy business given by God to people. He finds that life under the sun is vain. He says, finding satisfaction in life is like trying to grasp air. It's like bubbles blown from a child's lips. Substanceless and passing. And it's ultimately frustrating because there's no remedy to the quandary. He says, verse 15, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be, made, cannot be counted. This world is broken and it's in too many ways to be counted. It's just unfixable. And so, since the preacher has sought to diligently, has sought diligently with all his resources and returned to report of vanity, let us read of the preacher's quest and learn from his experiences rather than us having to learn the hard way. Some of us like learning the hard way. I don't think many of us in the end like it, but we try that way. In verses 16 through 18, he looks for satisfaction and wisdom. And then in chapter 2, 1 through 11, in Pleasure. And I'm sure you'll be struck by how this book was written so long ago, and yet it's relatable today. Nothing has changed. People still search for satisfaction in the same places. And hopefully, learning from the preacher's experience can save us from some of that heartache. So in verses 16 through 18, we ask the question, Is satisfaction found in wisdom? I'll read those. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The wisest man, other than Jesus to live, he gained wisdom and knowledge above everyone. And as he gained more and more wisdom, I imagine that he envisioned a time of being fulfilled, but it never came. Contrarily, he found himself vexed and sorrowful. Vexed because increasing wisdom revealed the quest to be without end, and sorrowful because greater knowledge revealed more and more vanities in life. Wisdom and knowledge did not gain fulfillment. It showed the quest to be harder and longer and bigger. If you enjoy learning, I think I put myself in that category, you know that more learning only reveals how little you know. This is true for every subject. Those who learn a new language realize how far behind the native speaker they stand. Those who study history realize how much is unknown or changed. Those who study the Bible learn how little they know, how unsearchable its depths are. There's no end to learning. It's like climbing a mountain and never reaching the top. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took a few of my kids. We tried to go up to Camp Mirror. We actually ended up did making it. But there's a snow field that you go up, and it's long and arduous. And you go up one part, and is that it? No, that's not the end. You go up another, and the kids are always, is, is this the end? And it just goes on and on and on. This is the pursuit of wisdom, except for you never reach the top. In addition... If you studied life and people, you're confronted with the pain and suffering of life. You're faced with wars and fights. You're faced with neglect and abuse. Abuse, you see broken marriages and families, broken friendships. You must grapple with prejudice and poverty. Increasing wisdom does not leave us fulfilled. It leaves us vexed at how much more there is to know, and then sorrowful over the plight of this world. The preacher The wisest man to live feels this tension to the nth degree. Therefore, he says, the quest for fulfillment is like striving after wind. And so he must move on to something else. And what does the preacher turn? Well, like many of us, he turns to pleasure in chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Let me read verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. If you have not sought fulfillment of wisdom, I'm sure you've tried pleasure. And the preacher pursued it to, in every way imaginable. He sought to titillate the senses, seeking gratification. But he tells us up front front that pleasure is also vain. And I I see five main categories of pleasure that he tests, uh, ones to which we can relate, and so I'm going to step us through these. The first one he sees is is in comedy, the entertainment of laughter in verse 2. He said, I said of laughter it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? We all know there's pleasure in laughter. It lifts the mood. It helps us not to take life too seriously. But we also know that finding lasting satisfaction in comedy is mad. It's crazy. Extended laughter is simply an escape from reality. It's a facade. It's to avoid our own problems and the troubles of this world. How many videos on TikTok or Facebook... Um, make you laugh, but ultimately leave leave you empty? How many TV comedies or movies leave you feeling satisfied at the end? Finding fulfillment in laughter is mad as crazy, for laughter is but an escape. And if you escape too often, you'll go mad. Second, the preacher sought to cheer his body with wine. We say this in verse 3. I searched my heart, how to cheer my body with wine my hurt still guiding me with wisdom and how to hold, lay hold of, on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven in the few days of their life. I don't think we need to spend much time on the, talking about the temporary pleasures of wine. We all know it's passing property, properties, but that doesn't mean people are kept from it. Throughout history, people have used drugs and alcohol, alcohol to have fun and avoid life. And sadly, this is the sad part, the church is not exempt. When God seems far away, Christians can go to the physical body which is in their hand rather than seeing, the, rather than going to the unseen living God. It's tragic, for no drink in all the world can satisfy the thirsty soul. Third, the preacher's quest leads to seeking pleasure in high-class living. We'll see that in verse 4. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. The preacher's work, his works, make our home improvement products look like absolutely nothing. <laughs> he describes them as great, not house, but houses. These vineyards and gardens and parks and pools and trees. I mean, it's, it's, it's majestic and um, large. And though the preacher has more resources to do much more than we can ever do, I think we can relate to the attraction of improving our living conditions. Um, Heather and I, we put in a new bathroom several years ago, and we we enjoy it almost every day. It's We, we enjoyed that product. But there's always more to do, something new, something different, and things begin to out, wear out. The king's great resources and his great ingenuity, by them he proves to us that the greatest, the biggest, the most artistic works never ultimately satisfy. So fourth, the preacher uses his wealth to acquire possessions. This is verse 7. He says, I bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. We'll stop there. The preacher, he brought bought slaves, flocks and herds. He acquired precious metals. He had his own singers. The king had everything anyone could ever want, more than anyone before him. Just think about this. If you could have anything that you desired all the time, the house, the pool, the necklace, the boat, The shoes, the vacation, the outfit, anything you want. My wife, um, she says she doesn't like cooking. Um, She jokes uh, that cleaning every inch of the house is a cinch, but she wants a chef to cook all of our meals. And we have a lot of meals to cook right now. That would be her delight in life. I would imagine that a slew of servants uh, would be nice. But as the preacher shows, he had it all, and yet... It was not enough. Possessions were enough. So fifth and finally, he sought pleasure with sex. Our society can't relate to that one, can they? No. Look at the last part of verse 8. And many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. The preacher acquired many concubines, the most beautiful and exotic of women. If the preacher is Solomon, and it probably is, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. All the romantic fantasies that a man could have were fulfilled. Year after year, generation after generation, men and women have sought satisfaction through sex. We think, if I can have her, or I can have him, I'll be happy. We think, if my girl looked like that, I would be satisfied. If my man was strong and compassionate like him, then I would be content. <laughs> Billions of dollars have been made on the desire for sexual satisfaction. And yet, with all the time and money spent, no one has been fulfilled through sex. sex, Each has sought more. And thus, the preacher concludes his findings in verses 9 through 11. So I became great, and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained, Under the sun. Man, consider this guy. Solomon had greater wealth than Jeff Bezos, more authority than the president, more wisdom than Gandhi. He pursued every fantasy at his disposal, all that his eyes wanted. Nothing was kept back from his heart's desire. And when he sat back and he considered it, it was all vanity, passing without substance, like wind, like soap bubbles in the wind. The laughs, the drink, the projects, the possessions, the sex was vanity. It passed like the wind, with nothing enduring. Put very simply, his quest for satisfaction to the sun was frustrating. It is evidence to all who read these words that seeking fulfillment in this life is futile. No one had greater opportunity than he, and yet he left what he left frustrated. Of late. Where are you finding your satisfaction? Are you being deceived by the passing pleasures of this world? Were you once content with the simplicity of Jesus, but have you found yourself looking in other places? If so, consider Solomon. He sought and searched with all his resources, yet he concluded all his vanity. Church, friends, please don't be deceived. If you are seeking satisfaction in this life... And when your end comes, you will despair. And that is exactly what the preacher takes us next in verses 12 through 23. He despairs at all his accumulated wisdom and toil for the gain, toil for gain, because in the end, the same event happens to all. And that event is death. Life's frustrating quest for satisfaction leads to a dead end. Let me read verses 12 through 16. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw, there is more gain in wisdom than folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, dies just like the fool. The preacher, he he takes a step back and he considers the wise and the foolish. And though wisdom did not bring ultimate satisfaction, he does conclude that wisdom is better than foolishness. The, the wise man is in a better, better off than, than the fool. He's clear thinking, and he's able to navigate life well. But then he perceives a despairing thought. The fool and the wise, they both die. They both live life, and each goes to the same place, the grave. The one who diligently studied life and people has the same end as the one who squandered life away. They both are forgotten in a few generations. The hard-earned wisdom slips from memory into the past, and death is the end result of the wise and the fool. Whatever path you may take in life, it leads to the same dead end. For all people live and then die. This is a despairing thought for the man or woman who lives life under the sun. If the here and now is all there is, Or, if you're living for the here and now only, there is great despair. The preacher wants you to despair, actually. So you might long for and depend upon God. And thus, he gives more evidence in verses 17-23, as he despairs at the futility of his toil. Alright, let me read that. Verse 17-23. So I hated life, because what is under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled With wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even the night his heart does not rest. Thus also, this also is vanity. You can, as you read that, you can hear the anguish in the preacher's voice. The anguish of a preacher he, he he's declared that his hatred for life and the futility of his labor. Not only do all die, but what is left behind is in jeopardy of being squandered. The people the, the preacher has labored to exhaustion, he has toiled with perspiration to life in life and, and, and to learn and to gain. But all of his hard work of the preacher must be left to a fool who may fritter it away all the preacher's toil to learn and build and accumulate wealth may be left to one who won't appreciate the gain because he didn't labor for it and thinking about all this toil in his life it's worked as all the preacher's moved to despair over the futility of his quest for satisfaction he says he hates his toil and declares death before enjoying his labels. he says is a great evil it's a great evil a life of sorrow and frustration, followed by death, is proof of the vanity of life under the sun. The message of Ecclesiastes is so helpful to us. In living life, we become, we can become enamored with its attractions, and as a result, we begin to seek satisfaction from it. We are like the fish, seeking satisfaction in the spinning, sparkling lure. We foolishly forget that death is the plight of all, and nothing we gain in, he- in the here and now will last. All will mold and rust and rot. And what we leave behind may be squandered, and it may pass away. It will pass away. Our homes will eventually be condemned. Our new car will eventually reach the junkyard. Laughter will cease as old age sets in. The beauty of youth will fade. Our toil will be forgotten. This is an important reminder and message to us. This world is a frustrating quest and even despairing. And if we seek from it the satisfaction for which we all long, we will be greatly disappointed and then we'll die. When I was younger, I gave much of my time and effort and loved the game of soccer. Uh, during high school, I set my heart on being a state champion. And in my senior year, our team was really good and we had the opportunity to win the title, but... In my final game, we lost in a penalty shootout to a lesser team who went on to win the title. That loss um, was very hard for me. I, I was actually depressed for several months, even though I knew I shouldn't. it shouldn't matter that much. I, I felt disappointment of that loss for several years to come. And, and my reaction revealed my heart. I had built my satisfaction around success in the soccer field. And when I was de- disappointed, it shook my satisfaction in life. I I don't know what it has been for you or is for you now, but we must guard ourselves over and, and be reminded that all of life under the sun is vanity. And if we build our satisfaction upon this passing world, our quest for satisfaction will be frustrating until we reach a dead end. During this season... Ecclesiastes, it's been feeding my soul. It has helped me to rightly look at life. There have been many things, I'm sure you've experienced disappointments, uh, missed opportunities, things that just haven't worked out. There have been changes. And so the preacher has been helping me to not take too much stock in this life. It doesn't satisfy. But, this is the good news, there is much from which we can be thankful. And that's what we're going to conclude in verses 24 to 26. Let us read now about the generous giver of joy. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and is striving after wind. So, we have seen that life is a frustrating quest for satisfaction, leading to a dead end. But, we conclude by seeing that joy is given by a generous God. Joy is given by a generous God. Since chapter 1, verse 1, the preacher has been keeping his eyes down upon the earth. And here, for a moment, he points his eyes upward from the earth to God. He makes the point that all that we receive on earth is a gift from the hand of God. Food and drink, laughter, possessions, sex, work, wisdom are God's gifts. And it is his will that we find enjoyment in the gifts that he gives. It is the duty of man to enjoy the gifts of God. I think it is God's will that I enjoy the competition, the camaraderie, and the beauty of soccer. It is, it is his will that you enjoy your home. It is his will that we enjoy the tastes of a good meal or drink. And the fruit of our work and labor are to be enjoyed. When Heather and I added a paved walkway in the back of our house, it is good that we enjoy eating and drinking and, and walking upon it. Life under the sun is frustrating, but it is also God's gift to people. It is his gift to all people. God wants people to experience the satisfaction of enjoying what he has given and what we have labored to build or establish. In theological terms, they call this God's common grace to all. And when all of this is received as a gift from God, then it can be received with joy. The key distinction being made by the preacher is that life is frustrating. But in recognizing God as the giver and receiving from him, we can find a measure, a measure of enjoyment in a world of vanity. But for the sinner, who does not receive life as a gift from God, he is left only with vanity, and in the end, frustration, and then death. But as a Christian church, we have good news for sinners. We're all sinners. Out of the generosity of God's heart, he gave his only Son. The Son was born into this life under the Son. He entered this world of frustration and came to the dead end. He too came on a quest, but it wasn't to find satisfaction, it was to bring satisfaction. Jesus lived in this frustrating life with a joy unknown to mankind. As we have been studying the book of Hebrews, we read, God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. Hebrews 1 9. Jesus was acquainted with all the frustrations and even despairs of this life, but he lived this life to the fullest. He took every part of it as a generous gift from his father, but he did not seek his satisfaction from this world. He was fulfilled by doing the will of his father, and his father's will was that he might die for sinners, so that they might find their satisfaction in him, that we might find our satisfaction in Jesus. Before Jesus came to his end, so that he declared, he said. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. John 15.11 God desires that you receive a measure of enjoyment from his gifts in this life. There's many things to enjoy. But even more, that your fulfillment comes from knowing Christ. We read in chapter 1, verse 15 of Ecclesiastes that what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he entered a crooked and broken world, and through his own toil and suffering, he redeemed this world. He labored, and he's tired, and He sweat, but by entering this crooked world, he brought the way to satisfaction. His work was not in vain, he was effective. His work is not forgotten, it endures. Martin Luther once said, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And that is what Jesus did. Through a crooked world, through his own end, he drew a straight line to God. Jesus died and then conquered death so sinners might worship and be satisfied in God. Are you on a quest for satisfaction? Then don't look to this world. Look to Jesus. The world's quest leads to frustration and a dead end. The path of Christ It's the joy and life eternal. Let your frustrations and despairs with this life push you to depend on Christ. Enjoy the daily simple gifts from God, a good meal, your bed, your family, your friends. But don't expect satisfaction from this world. There will be trouble. Go to Christ alone for your satisfaction. Let's close by listening to Jesus' words about a quest. I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Luke 11. Christ alone offers a quest for satisfaction that ends in deep fulfillment. Ask Him today. Seek Him today. Make Him your quest. And you will find, and He will open to you. Joy. Joy and life eternal, and, and be able to enjoy the simple pleasures of this day. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the, the realistic view of life we see from the preacher. Uh, thank you that he reminds us so clearly that, that nothing in this life can truly satisfy. and all the, the wisdom, not all the knowledge, n- no pleasure can truly satisfy us. But also, thank you for reminding us there are simple things that we can enjoy as a gift from you, Lord. Help throughout this week for us to identify those, to see them, and give thanks to you to enjoy them. But ultimately, Lord, help us to cling to Jesus, to search for Jesus, to know that he is the one who satisfies the depths of our soul. We pray this in his name. Amen.